morning, everyone. It's This Week in XR. I'm Charlie Fink with Ted Chilowitz, futurist at Paramount Pictures. Um, morning, Charlie. We're here for probably the slowest news week of the year, but we have a fantastic guest, Brendan Bradley, uh, who created future stages uh, using um, WebXR. So one-click invitation and you're in. Uh, he works with NYU, and uh, we have a great conversation on that coming up, which is good, Ted, because we don't have a whole hell of a lot to talk about today. No. Uh, it it yeah. looks like, though, um, uh, there are a couple of things we can get to before we get to Brendan. Um, so Apple v. Fortnite, the battle continues. Supposedly this thing is going to court next week, which represents some kind of lightning docket, right? Don't these things usually take like five years before they end up in court? Yeah, one would, one would think uh, that this means something uh, because there's a lot of pressure on a lot of people to make a determination on the case and set the stage for what we're gonna learn next about uh, you know, how the economy of, of scale works in these platforms and, and who owns what, right? So it'll be very interesting. Well, I think Apple ha is fighting back in the publicity department and making some pretty good points. I mean, I don't believe it's as frivolous as they make it out to be, but you know, their point is that this represents 20% of the revenue from Fortnite. Most of it is from game engines and PCs. So, you know, um, Apple is gonna argue, it's a little piece of the pie. We're not taking that much of their revenue of Fortnite. You know, they're just picking a fight because they wanna make more money. This is about greed, it's not about their rights. And, uh, you know, they're not completely wrong about that. Um, you know, the issue still remains for other developers uh, who do rely on uh, the App Store much more than Epic does. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how this, this unfolds. I, I can't tell if it's a jury trial. It's probably not. There's, there's probably I'm not sure, but I don't think it would be. It wouldn't yeah, make sense. So, but I guess there's been rumors that they're, you know, they're going to bring in Tim Cook. They're, you know, they're going to bring in Tim Sweeney. It's going to be the battle of the Tims. Maybe they'll, well, maybe they'll put it on Twitch, like, like the other yes, trials <laughs> on CNN. You can watch the whole thing go down live. Yeah. Who knows? So who are you picking? Do you have a dog in this fight? I do not have a dog in this fight. I, I actually think it's a valuable fight. I think, you know, if I, if I have to put a perspective on it, I think companies have what they believe is their sustainability model, right? That they will represent. And it gets a little shrouded when these companies are very large tech monoliths that, that generate huge amounts of profits and huge amounts of, of success. You know, a company that has a a 2.2, 2.3 trillion dollar market valuation uh, is is always a little tough to kind of justify their 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 why why are they putting up a fight for this? But internally, every company works on their own long term sustainability, right? And if they feel like this is a a a a, a battle head that they need to to fight on, they will. Um, and it, it, you know, it's interesting, maybe it, it oddly somewhat relates to the news that Jeff Bezos is supporting uh, the, the corporate um, tax hikes that the Biden administration is, is putting in. Um, but at the same time, and Bezos owns the Washington Post and is generally a liberal guy trying yeah, to do good 
as Bill Gates is in, in a world where you're the richest guy, I don't even know. Yeah, but it, but it was reflecting on me as that, you know, I, I once uh, spent a little time with Jeff Bezos at a space conference where he was giving a talk about his Blue Origin stuff and I was doing a talk about like the, 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 the use cases of uh, virtual reality and mixed reality for all of that at a, at a space conference in Marina del Rey, which was quite passionate and fun for me. But when he gave his talk, he was very open about the fact that Amazon would not exist without the public nature of the public internet that was supported by, you know, by taxpayers. Yeah, and research that was funded by the American citizens yeah. and that his success rides on that. So I think psychologically, he does see his value quotient and his sustainability as making sure the next generation can have the kind of universal buildup of goods and services that can they can build on top of that live on the next what we call public internet. So I thought it was kind of an interesting sideline to the to the Apple story, maybe. Yeah, interestingly, the Apple is also uh, having a unionization vote uh, among its workers. It, I guess I just saw a headline today that uh, it looks like they're going to vote against unionization. And you know, union is a, a double-edged sword. I mean, it, it, you you have to pay dues. These are people who need that money. Uh, <clears throat> and you have to believe the union is going to be able to negotiate better than individuals. Yeah, in, in what best interests, right? And yeah, it's a so it's a, you know generally I'm pro union, but but in this case, um, you also want to follow the majority of workers and figure out what they're uh, thinking. So anyway, let's get onto a fun story. Uh, Tom Brady starting an NFT company for autographs. And smart mem and and memorabilia. How um, smart is this, really? Well, I, I'm in I'm in Florida right now, as as I think you know, because we've talked. And I'm on the board of a cancer research center that is based in Tampa. So we were following with you know rabid excitement about the the uh, the, the 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 long maligned Buccaneers succeeding, and now Tom Brady is on the NFT train along with everybody else. And I thought you know we're talking before our reporting that it was really interesting that the kind of cast of heavy hitters he's got on his board, including Eddie Q from Apple, right? Talking about Apple, right? So they are in a no fooling sort of mode when yeah. they're throwing down with this and he's kind of the front man of it, so. In, in 2017, Philip Rosedale talked to me about this, um, you know, world of NFTs and objects having uh, uniqueness in a world of bits where they can be instantly duplicated, right? So an autograph is a perfect example. You get a, a million copies of Tom Brady's autograph and none of them is unique, including right. the original. And interesting enough, that's the name of his entity, autograph. That's what it's called. Yeah, no, no, I know, I know. And so anyway, I, you know, Rosedale said, well, look, if you have a Ferrari in the virtual world, you know, Ferrari owns that design. Yeah. So how do they prevent there from being a million Ferraris? Because you know, part of their value is that they make 300 a year. So by using a, he was calling it a, uh, you know, a blockchain of objects. Um, you can call it an NFT, whatever. It means that there's a unique code that can't be detached from the object and also cannot be duplicated. So way, way before this NFT craze, I, I, talked about because I, you know, being somewhat sort of geeky gamery, I was into this thing called Star Citizen for a little while and you could buy ships in Star Citizen way before people really mass understood blockchain, uh, you know, like scarcity and actually being able to control 
an asset, but people would buy um, their ships. And, and occasionally these ships would sell for thousands of dollars in a digital world. This is pre-Fortnite, pre-Minecraft, like it was a thing, right? Way back then uh, that people understood the idea of if you own it in the digital world and it is unique to you, you own it uh, and it has value. And this is an extrapolation. So I, everything I look at is always an extrapolation of something I learned, learned earlier in my career arc, which I guess is sort of the, the moniker of a futurist, right? And um, Star Citizen is always my initial touch point. Like I learned about Star Citizen, I understood Star Citizen and everything 10, 15 years later reflects to me on, oh yeah, it's like Star Citizen coming back again. So, you know, Tom Brady is doing his version of Star Citizen right now. So um, that's our show this week. Uh, Ted, uh, it's been fun as always. Hopefully next week we'll bring us some more uh, exciting topics. But meanwhile, I'm really excited, everybody, uh, to share with you this conversation with Brendan Bradley that Ted and I had. Thanks for listening. See you next Friday. This morning is Brendan Bradley, the creator of Future Stages, a theatrical venue in VR. I love this idea. And they recently hosted the Onboard XR Festival. Brendan, thanks for jumping on with us this morning. Thanks so much for having me. It's lovely to quote unquote meet y'all in the uh, virtual world. So when you showed me Future Stages, I guess in the fall, you had just completed it. What's been happening since then? I guess the Onboard Festival is the most recent event, but, but what's been going on with it and how many events have you booked and what type of events? Sure, so when basically COVID first hit, um, I was trying to kind of evangelicalize the uh, technologies that were out there, kind of open source technologies, especially in XR and WebXR. And a lot of backlash that I got was like, well, that cost, seems to cost money or we don't really know. Um, people, kind of a presumed helplessness when it comes to new technology. And so as I watched kind of the mass adoption to platforms like Zoom in the theater community, I was like, okay, what, uh, what else is out there that's just free out of the box that people can use? And Mozilla Hubs was a pretty good platform for people to kind of come to the space, use a, a room link, just like Zoom, that people could drop in on whatever device they had. But of course, you need a template, you need an environment, you need some basic practices, some basic standards. So I created the future stages as basically a templated space that anybody could use to add their show art, add their live stream link, and immediately host an audience. Um, and of course, then the feedback was, well, have you done a show inside of it? And so I actually teamed up with a group of kind of XR professionals, David Gotchfield, Alex Coulomb, Kevin Labson, and we produced a one act play in this space. And from there, I got hit up by a bunch of theater companies uh, regionally and internationally, as well as individual artists. And at this point, I believe I personally onboarded uh, a couple dozen different institutions. And then I know of a couple hundred different uh, performances that have been done using either the future stages itself or totally kit bashing it to make it their own, tearing, you know, tearing the building apart and doing what they want with it. And what we got really excited about was, okay, could we use Mozilla's built-in scene switching capability where you can literally decide what scene you want your room to have, what template in real time. So you can literally go, oh, I, I want it to be a, a beachfront or, hey, I want to be in the Mediterranean. And it will go to black for three seconds and come back up in the new scene. And I was like, well, that's a theater cue. Like that's scenery, like we're changing scenery. Yeah. And so 
what I did was I reached out on Twitter with a Google document to four different shows that had done either stuff in VR chat or on their own bespoke platform or in Mozilla Hubs itself. And I said, I'm going to help you set up a scene in Mozilla. And then what we're going to do is create our own custom cloud iteration and migrate your scene onto the server with like basic core branding. We're going to strip away the interface. And we hosted Onboard XR, which basically allowed these artists to have complete control over their show and world. The audience logged in on a single URL. The Onboard was a theater festival? Yeah, it was a one-act theater festival. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, I'm sorry I missed that. And you know, the great thing, of course, about a... um, you know, about a theater company in VR is that you have an unlimited number of stages, right? Got a hundred companies, no problem. The Brendan Bradley future stage is always available. Yeah, scale is not an issue, right? Scale is infinite. Exactly. When I was a producer, one of the things that we struggle with, of course, is that you have a limited amount of- um, Venues, right? Yeah. The peak times are often booked three years in advance. So it can be quite difficult, but I guess my biggest question is, I mean, yes, we know that certain artists are experimenting with the medium Alex uh, and his work that he's been doing over the past four years has been um, pioneering and absolutely indispensable in developing the medium, but he's an extraordinary guy and developer who happens to be uh, interested in theater and like me sees the potential um, for this underappreciated medium to have new life. Uh, not that theater is dead or anything like that, but actors can't really live where they want and work when they want. And this changes that. So I, I think that extraordinary things are going to happen. And no question, many of them will happen on the boards of your theater. Um, but are the theater companies really ready to do this? Or is it just a few people who are kind of techie and into VR, but the vast majority of the theater world. I know people in New York are trying to mingle with the theater world to help raise consciousness, but this is not a group of people who, like like us, would have run out to get the Quest to the day it was available. Right. I I think that what I found interesting is that the angle I've kind of come from is I would have agreed with you until they all decided to start making Zoom theater. And the moment that you were willing because I think at this point we have a little bit of a, a reimagining of, of what the last year has been like, because at the beginning of the pandemic, nobody really even understood how Zoom worked. And even to date, like I'll have meetings with people and we can't figure out our microphones or our cameras. So like there's going to be onboarding no matter what ecosystem you're coming into. So then it becomes a conversation of what ecosystem serves the storytelling. And that's yeah. where I then think my challenge to other theater companies is, yes, it's going to be a little clunky to get in for the first couple of times, But once you're in, you're in. And the reminder I keep actually having to come back to is we're talking about a a medium that traditionally you have to crawl across 13 other bodies to get to your seat in the orchestra. And if I'm willing to like Tetris my way over other humans, I think I can figure out how to like click some buttons and some settings to log in. Well, when when the, the Ratatouille moment on TikTok and then YouTube went viral and found a, you know, wide swath international audience during the pandemic, that was a good sort of touch point. I'm also curious, I have to presume you know the folks at No Proscenium that have been um, promoting this type of idea. Charlie and I have spent time with them. Um, We like what they're up to. We like their thought process around building, you know, new arcs and new venues for theatrical experiences, both 
in the real world, in the virtual world, and then some sort of hybrid between the two. Um, and, and I think that's, there's a, there's a lot of fascination there. Uh, and the, as the hits come, things start to, to legitimize, right? And start to find their moments. So it sounds like you're, you're deep into that world right now. Absolutely. I mean, Noah and Catherine have been incredibly supportive and knowledgeable, especially just given the fact that I think that they've really captured a sense of immersiveness. And to Charlie's point, they've always been willing to expand what that means. They've been open to that definition being more fluid and to identifying different pockets of, look, we might take over a warehouse and make a site-specific piece, but we also might try something completely in AR where you're actually like wandering through a space, finding the performance with your phone. Right. Um, and I think that inclusionary look at this technology and at performance in general is in some ways what's going to bring theater into the 21st century. Yeah, I totally agree. The idea well, theater, of theater has a problem, right? Because it can't scale, right? If you have a hit show, you don't have enough seats. And, and the truth is Broadway tickets are for rich people now or something you would do for an anniversary once every 10 years. It's almost $1,000 for two people to go see a hit Broadway show. Um, but, you know, in XR, a million people could see it and they could pay, they could do a micro payment and the actors in the theater company could, could make out far better. I mean, if the Travis Scott event in Fortnite had charged everybody 10 cents, they would have made almost $5 million in 10 minutes. Sounds very similar to this trajectory of this thing called cinema, where people realize that <laughs> we record the material and distribute it. We can sell it at a much lower price and we can open up venues all over the planet. Uh, and lo and behold, we are just tracking, you know, the same thing about what does distribution mean when the visualization tools get so good that you can have a live-like experience inside a virtual reality or a mixed reality environment, right? So. Well, I think, I think uh, cinema is a really good touchstone, Ted, especially because I think that there's actually two worlds that we're talking about when we talk about theater, capital T, in America, right? There's, there's Broadway, which is an incredible commercial model, and it really is a real estate model. It is about that scarcity, that footprint, because that's how you make the value of a ticket. You want to be in, uh, as we've heard for the last two years, the room where it happens. But when we come to more of a storytelling tradition in America, the idea of accessibility, I mean, a lot of really what, what we're looking for comes out of the community theater or the little theater movement from Chicago, um, where it really is just about finding more community-driven, community-based storytelling. And that's where I think to, to the point of Ratatouille, TikTok in some ways is representing this new arm of really empowering anybody to be a narrative storyteller so that we can preserve the tradition of storytelling just on its core as its own. And then we can worry about the commercialization to, you know, as, as to the Travis Scott point, as it scales, you know, like, oh, look, there's a, a financial model here or a financial layer we can add on top of this. But first, it's about that accessibility. And that's really, for me, what Future Stages has been all about is that we're kind of hitting three different core buckets here. We've got the immersiveness, which of course we want, the live performance, which we're trying to kind of keep alive, especially during moments like COVID, but then it's gotta be accessible. Capital A, accessibility, not just that the audience can show up, but also who gets to tell stories in these mediums. And that is a lot of the reckoning and the criticism that we found with Capital T Theater on Broadway is kind of who are the gatekeepers, who are the storytellers, who's getting to tell stories in the theater. Um, and I think that this technology opens that up to anybody. Yep, I would agree. You're muted, Charlie. 
I'm such a geezer, but there's still construction outside, so I have to mute when I'm not talking. Otherwise, you're going to hear the beeping of heavy machinery. Uh, Brendan, tell us, give us your bio in a nutshell. I'm just interested how you know you came to develop this theater and where the idea came from and your relationship to the community. Sure. Um, I mean, I'm an actor and I self-identify as a scrappy storyteller. And that's basically because I've never come from a place of access to funding or uh, an industry or kind of like an in in the business. I, you know, I have been grateful. I'm very grateful to have had a pretty great career um, in 100 television and film projects. Um, and I've got 50 million views across YouTube and a lot of weird digital nonsense. But I started as a teenager in North Carolina who the nearest theater was an hour away. So I started producing my own theater. And then I got to New York City and started producing off-Broadway and off-off-Broadway and off-off-off-off-off-off-Broadway stuff in weird non-traditional spaces. And around 2007, I started hearing this word new media and hearing about this new platform called YouTube. And for whatever reason to me, I thought that's black box theater with a camera. And I want to go move to Los Angeles and start building black box theater with a camera. And so that got me into a decade of digital content that then uh, led me to start founding the Integrative Technology Lab at New York University to be able to put new technology in the hands of students, particularly theater students, because I think that that is going to be the future of acting training is actually like interacting and in, um, engaging with this technology. Um, and so when COVID hit, it was just kind of serendipitous that I had the lab at NYU. I'd been dabbling in both worlds for the last 20 years. And then suddenly theater producers were calling me saying, how do we keep the doors open? And I was like, let's find out together. That's a great story. Thanks, thanks for sharing that. I thought you had kind of a great radio voice as we've been talking here. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so I, I, I did I did start the quarantine doing a radio show, a live radio show from my closet. That was how I spent the first month of the quarantine. <laughs> I didn't know that you had a relationship with NYU. That's great. That must give you uh, access to a lot of collaborators. And that must make your life a lot easier. It, it can. Um, it can also, obviously, any institution comes with that double-edged sword of incredible access, but then a lot of, uh, a lot of babysitting and a lot of fingerprints on ideas. So it's nice to be within and without the walls. You must, you must be constantly onboarding actors uh, into your uh, projects. Um, yes. Have any of them seen VR before they walked into your um, studio? Many have not. Um, and that's what's been really fun. And I think that what's really interesting is in some ways, this has also been my big lesson during COVID to high schools and colleges um, universities and, and even just theater companies is we're talking about a generation that's more digitally native than even I am. And so the idea of trying to teach them or preserve the, the traditional hierarchy of knowledge of like, I understand this and I'm going to tell you about it. It doesn't make sense anymore because we're talking about new solutions and new technologies that honestly, a lot of these students have grown up natively with. So they're coming to a drama department with an affinity for video games. So why not let them merge those passions together rather than treating them as separate or as like hobbies um, when in some ways they inform each other because their love of narrative is from side questing. So let them combine them. Um, and then I'm, I'm, I'm curious if you've come, sorry about the jet flying by. I'm curious <laughs> if you know about, and the birds. Um, <laughs> Welcome to my crazy travel life. Um, I'm curious if you've uh, 
cross paths with the Johnny Carson Center for Emerging Arts at the University of Nebraska, if that has hit your radar yet. I just I just spoke there last week. There you go. So it Charlie, is, that, no. it has not hit my radar, but I did I did uh, Shakespeare in Rep in Omaha um, for nice. a year. So I should I should find them because that yeah, sounds like a great we can, collab. We can connect you up. Um, our friend Megan uh, runs the program, and it's it's a new school that was funded by a by a grant from the Johnny Carson Foundation um, to explore emerging media. So it's not a film school or a television school. They interface with those schools also at the university, but it is all about new forms of media and art. Uh, and it sounds like your trajectory and theirs might mesh. Yeah, that, you know, a, a that sister is, that school, exactly NYU Nebraska. Is. They both have ends in the name might be an interesting uh, <laughs> to play. Well, and uh, I'd love to see a collaboration between students from the city and students from Nebraska. Yeah, like that's yeah. where the yeah, ideas Is latency an issue? Is latency an issue? Always. Audio latency is a nightmare. Now, visual latency seems to be pretty great. The fidelity on, especially um, in the platforms that we've tried out, um, when it comes to like fully performing as an avatar or using your video camera to port in as a webcam, those both seem pretty great. I mean, there's probably like a few frames off, but um, the movement is pretty fantastic. So dance, for example, Valencia James is doing incredible volumetric streaming mm. um, in WebXR and that works fantastically, but there is always that, that, that audio glitch. And so we've been looking at non-traditional ways of, can we use an audio engine offsite so, for example, we've used we've used Clubhouse as our like mixing board for then the stage manager to port in a single audio that's actually in sync together um, mm -hmm. to see if we can get rid of some of that audio latency. How did it work? Worked better than not. <laughs> Brendan, thank you for coming on the show. This has been uh, super educational for me. I can't tell you. Well, I have told you several times how interested I am. Uh, in the project. Thanks for doing this, by the way. Yeah, we and, enjoyed it. It's really interesting. You know, you know only, only an artist who's really not out for money uh, could do what you've done. Uh, and hopefully money will come. Uh, but in the meantime, look, look at how many artists you're helping. And, um, and we all, I think, share this belief that live performance is going to be incredibly uh, important in, in VR. And, and it's going to turn, by the way, uh, it could be that could be the expression of user generated content in VR is that we're essentially entertaining one another. Um, of course, if automation uh, and AI are really going to be as good as everybody says, we may have a lot of free time on our hands. <laughs> well, I just want to thank both of you because you, you provide such an amount of education and passion for the space and a lot of just me as a newcomer to this space, being able to read and follow the work that y'all are putting out. Um, you do provide a really welcoming community. So thank you for letting me a part, be, be a Thanks. part of your sandbox. We, we're having fun. And uh, everybody, you do too. Enjoy your weekend. That's This Week in XR. See you next Friday. <laughs>